Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. I'm a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent much of our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This season, we're looking at 16 years of DC animated movies to see which stories are sweet and which ones are sour on yet another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codenamed Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codenamed Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. Which is the year, I must remind you, Dragon Ball GT premiered in Japan. Why did you say that? Why did you say that? that, That's no, we don't talk about Dragon Ball GT. Come on, no, we don't. No, the theme song. We do not talk about Dragon Ball GT. (laughs) It's not canon, but it still could be. Oh, God. Damn it. it technically still could be canon. Um, we would wonder why they're not using Super Saiyan Blue and a lot of other questions, but technically, there's nothing stopping it from being canon, uh, to my knowledge. Damn it. Is this... So, the reason why we're talking about Dragon Ball GT is because I guess our film for today is also another Japanese animated production that technically isn't canon. <laughs> <laughs> Some parts could be. Again, Some. You see, that's why we love it. That's why it connects. Damn, that was a good one. That was a, that was a deep cut. <laughs> I just remember the announcer going, next time on Dragon Ball GT. Like, very dramatic for no reason. Calm down. Because it was Dragon the only Ball thing GT. good about that show. <laughs> you had to build up some kind of hype. <laughs> But uh, today we are talking about Batman Gotham Knight, not the video game, not the CW production that's being made instead of Batwoman Season 4 or Legends of Tomorrow Season 8. Uh, no no animosity towards it. Uh, <laughs> we are talking about Batman Gotham Knight, the 2008 animated production that ran that had a runtime for 76 minutes and may or may not exist within the Nolan versus the Christopher Nolan Batman movie series. Yeah, yeah. There's only one major reference I clocked, but the rest of them, like they could happen, I guess. Right. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I was, yeah, there's a lot of confusion, which we'll talk about um, because real quick things about it. This is DC um, teamed up with Warner Brothers to work alongside four different Japanese animation studios to create six individual uh, semi-intertwining stories, I guess. And just so if you are worried about it, you don't need to watch you don't need to watch it if you wanted to really truly appreciate the Nolan verse. But um basically it's kind of like every single anime film where it's like it's not canon, but it's just fun to watch, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so cast list, because it's several short films, um, it doesn't make sense for me to list off every single person here. <laughs> But did I hear Dante Bosco in there? Yes, yes. I think, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of... Actually, no, sorry. No, Dante isn't in it. Oh. It's, yeah, it's, we- it's weird. There are some 
very familiar names, and I will share them once you get to them. But yeah, surprisingly, Dante isn't in it. Sounded just like him. Whoever they got was like, <laughs> I was like, Zuko? <laughs> <laughs> but we do have main, one main person who is the constant voice throughout the entire film, and that is Kevin Conroy, who is picking up the mantle once again as the Cape Crusader. All right, so that's a little bit about our film. Now it's time to get into these six individual intertwining stories that make up Batman Gotham Knight, starting with Have I Got a Story for You? So right away, you know it's Gotham because they have a skate park in a wind turbine, I think. I don't know where the skate park is located. (laughs) It's not OSHA safe. (laughs) It's somewhere where apparently, um, again, it's Gotham, so we we don't question things in Gotham. It could have been Cyborg's old stadium for all we know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's what happened to it. That's just the locker room, though. <laughs> <laughs> so we have some kids around and they all are trying. They all just want to tell their stories of their Batman encounters. And the first encounter we see, kid is skateboarding along the way. He runs into a ninja in Gotham. Pretty common stuff. But what is uncommon is the appearance of Batman. This Batman is, as they say, a living shadow. Mm-hmm. who kind of like uses some like Naruto jutsu to <laughs> go along the ground and, and rise up out of the ground. And he's just this kind of very terrifying shadow. And the design is cool as hell. <laughs> oh, say. yeah, I, I do love this. And I I think it was a pretty good take on Batman, given the aesthetic they always try to put forward with him of being like a, someone who lurks in the shadows, disappearing and disappearing out of nowhere. So, yeah, I agree. This leads to a fight between the ninja. We don't know exactly what he wants, but he wants that smoke from Batman. So Batman hisses at him like a bat creature of some sort. And they grapple a little bit, but ultimately the ninja is able to get away with the flash grenade, escape into the water, though Gotham City water. I don't know what you're swimming in at all. (laughs) Um, And as the story closes, someone immediately cuts in with, nah, that's not what Batman looks like. I also want to point out, I feel like at one point this person said, why you capping? And I was like, is this the first time that cap was actually used <laughs> in our vernacular? <laughs> maybe this, maybe, uh, you know, we were this set records. Right. Maybe we should uh, call the NAACP. <laughs> <laughs> so the next story that does come up is um, another one of the skateboarders. She shares that. So she shares... Um, once again, she's skating down the streets. She gets stopped by a cop. But at that point, there is this, again, the same ninja who's flying through the air. And he's immediately getting chased by Batman, who instead of being the living shadow that we saw before, he's now this like half man, half bat creature. And it's just a full on aerial assault in the skies. They are just like, everything is just flying around like crazy. Everybody's like trying to run away. But this new version of Batman is like even more terrifying than his previous um, story. So it ends now with the Batman basically taking the jetpack that this ninja has on him, throwing it away, and the ninja ends up falling into Gotham water, which at that moment, they immediately realize that maybe there's the first story and this one might be kind of intertwined in some way, shape or form. 
Yeah, except for the beheading that she added into the middle. Oh, of the yeah, story. yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it was quickly established in this universe that Batman, even here, does not kill people despite the beheading in the story. We'll, we'll talk about not him not killing people a little bit later, though. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, this leads to a third short where um, someone who sounds exactly like Huey from the Boondocks uh, is <laughs> telling a story about the a ninja on a roof and this time when the ninja shows up a robot terminator s batman shows up shooting the claws out of his arms like a like a grappling hook uh in the dragon ball gt line um he's like android 16 basically Mm -hmm. um firing lasers and stuff and i do like the kid added in he looked at the ninja saying, I ain't scared of you, man. And his friends were like, nah, you didn't say that. You didn't say that. Stop. He was captain. He was captain. <laughs> yeah, captain. Um, but once again, the ninja gets away, leaving us right back where we started with all the kids sitting around in the skate park. And one kid kind of salty that he didn't get to see Batman himself. Yeah, but his wish immediately gets answered as the same ninja gets thrown to through the walls and the windows and Batman is following as well. And there's just a bunch of dust and clouds coming around them as now they're, the kids are like frantically trying to run away from the scenario, but this kid, he is feeling very confident. So he grabs the skateboard, sees Batman's about to be killed by this ninja and hits the ninja in the back of the head. You know, I'm, I'm assuming that he's not dead. Um, I'm just basing this off of Stranger Things rules as a spoiler for people. So sorry about that. <laughs> uh, plastic over rubber all day. Uh, so <laughs> I think that, yeah. So at this moment, Batman looks at the kid as the ninja's on the ground. He immediately takes the ninja into custody and says, looks at the kid and says, I, I owe you one. I thank you for what you did. I owe you one as he disappears. And this leads to the kid basically saying man have i got a story for y'all because as the dust settles this is when everybody's trying to come back to find them and that ends the have i got a story for you short uh real quick it was written by josh olsen and was animated by by studio four degrees c four degrees celsius or four degrees c um you'll know their artwork from flashpoint their sorry their animation style from flashpoint paradox and green lantern emerald knights and the cast consists of like James Marsden, who you know, Jason Marsden, who you know is Richie Foley from Static Shock. Scott Menville plays the the kid who was um who uses the the who helped help out Batman. We got George Newburn, Crystal Scales, aka Daisy, um, as well as um Hinden Walsh, who play who voices a woman on the show on the in the short as well. Well, Static Shock reunion, right? Like here, I like it. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. I was looking at all the names. It was just like we're just basically missing Phil Lamar at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I also was like, is this the new Robin? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Of course, anybody that saves Batman becomes a Robin, regardless of age. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're qualified, kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, as you know, as you might know, these shorts are short. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we're already on to the next one with Crossfire that uh, starts with two skeptic. What? Well. It starts with one skeptical black detective, as you should be in Gotham. Oh, hell um, yes. This man is not a villain. He's he's the, the sane one. Um, he is pulled into Gordon's office, and Gordon wants him to transfer a prisoner that looks like, like every scientist anime villain you have ever seen. <laughs> if you're picturing, whatever you picture when I say that, it's right. That's what the guy <laughs> looks like. 
Also, fun fact, uh, this is the guy, the ninja that we saw in the previous um, Have I Got a Story for You, apparently. So, um, yeah, it's a good thing he was wearing that mask because my man was looking crazy without it. <laughs> yeah. As they are assigned to take um, this, the man, the ninja, back to, to Arkham, they, Crispus and Anna, or Detectives Allen and Ramirez, they're having this conversation about um, basically the state of Gotham. Um, Crispus, he's basically very upset that Gordon is working alongside Batman. Um, he hates the fact that Batman is up in the lieutenant's like office talking with him because he sees him as a vigilante. And we know the feelings of cops and vigilantes based off of all the superhero storytelling. But he expresses this frustration with Detective Ramirez, leading to him saying that when this is over, he's planning on leaving the MCU. Not that MCU. Yeah, I, I was heavily <laughs> confused when he said that. I was like, what did I turn the did I, did I use the wrong streaming service for this one? <laughs> I also do love that in the middle of this very like serious conversation, it randomly cuts to an epic shot of Batman just mm. <laughs> posing for no reason. <laughs> and it's that typical Batman pose where it's just like cape flowing in the background, chest is out there like he just listened to Kevin Hart's um comedy special and the moonlight <laughs> is in the background so that that, that that strong batman pose i love it i love it he was working on that one <laughs> so we eventually get to arkham and holy i have never been more terrified to look at arkham because all the inmates look like little titans from attack on titan like <laughs> these these guys are absolutely the most terrifying collected group even the guards look like this mm. what is going on in arkham at first i was like do we get hit by fear toxin but no i think this is just what arkham looks like <laughs> jesus christ um so they get out of there as fast as possible crispus and ramirez and they choose to stop unfortunately right in the middle literally smack dab in the middle of a gang fight yeah like i've heard of bad parking jobs and spots but this is this is the worst of the worst it immediately leads into a gunfight between the two gangs one led by um the russian or the russian mob um and then the other group being sal maroney's gang maroney we know he's been running or at least been attempting to run gotham this entire time you know against falcone and all that so sal maroney being here makes this like to me a true gotham story as everybody's just blasting each other it's like it's like that meme of danny devito oh uh, you know <laughs> anyway i just started blasting <laughs> and um detectives alan ramirez immediately tried to get out of their car while trying to call for backup and they're told that backup won't arrive for another three minutes which um alan is just like you know that's too long and i was just like that seems like a pretty normal amount of time in gotham at least Nowhere else is that normal, but here in Gotham, that actually seems pretty quick. Yeah, and also, like, they're in the most bulletproof car in America. Oh, yes. So, like, <laughs> I think they would have been fine in there for a few more minutes, honestly. Um, yeah, so eventually they pull out the rocket launcher. Kind of nice call forward to what would happen in Dark Knight with the Joker in a similar scenario. Mm. Uh, so they get out of the car, and luckily... Just in time, Crispus is saved by Batman, uh, who pulls him up and over to safety. 
And this is where we get a crazily animated fight scene where Batman is given everybody the business and it's so fluid. It's so, so nice, so well animated and just no one can stop him. He's a force of nature as he takes people down. Um, unfortunately, though he gets the Russian, he doesn't get Maroney, who held, holds Ramirez at hostage while Christmas jumps approximately eight stories down to try to <laughs> save her. <laughs> Your knees, bro. Your knees. <laughs> These cops are different in Gotham, okay? <laughs> and we get this other really cool animated scene as Batman is walking closer and closer to Maroney as you see that he's basically walking through fire at this point. Also, this Batman is not looking like anything we've seen in our previous um short he is more of that more intimidating style he has the to put it more clearly he has the um the little chin strap and i feel like whenever you had chin strap mask batman that's when you know shit's about to go down so he's telling her to let her go and luckily alan is able to um provide his own set of backup but you know moroni just wasn't going to make this one out safely because batman easily um upon the distraction of seeing Alan Maroney tries to do something, but Batman runs on over, knocks the gun out of his hand, and completely saves um, Ramirez from getting any further harm. And this is when, after everybody is all settled, this is when Batman looks at Alan and Ramirez and it's just like, you guys are part of um, the MCU major crimes unit, is what it was eventually finally <laughs> said to be. And he realizes that they're part of Gordon's handpicked officers, which he says that Gordon's a good judge of character. So he trusts them and then he just disappears. And that's, you know, you always, if you get a compliment from Batman, just take that and get out yep. exactly. <laughs> as soon as possible. Oh, and I do want to share because of the fact that you mentioned that it was a really good animated fight scene. Um, shout out to the animation studio for this one because it was the story was written by. Um, Greg Rucker, who's done a ton of Batman stuff, but the animation was done by Production IG, who has done Tekken 3. Oh, yeah. Ghost in the Shell, the non-Scarlett Johansson one, <laughs> and Persona 5. Makes complete sense. <laughs> uh, moving right along to Field Test, my uh, arguably my favorite animated Bruce, I like to call him Bishonen Bruce, because <laughs> he looks like such... He looks like such a... Like thin, pretty boy. He does. Hey, pop idol kind of guy. Um, and Batman's a part of BTS here. Yeah, I, this, he could be in BTS. And he's talking to uh, Lucius Fox, who has trying to introduce him to a new gadget, which basically, if you've seen the Fast and Furious 9 car magnets, it's the same thing. It's a super strong... <laughs> EMP magnet kind of deal. <laughs> oh my god! This is this another Fast and Furious lawsuit that's about to happen. Oh, <laughs> uh, I've yeah, Fast and Furious. Look, y'all, you're not Warner Brothers. You need to talk about what <laughs> all these things you're borrowing. Andrew, I lowkey feel you're just building a case against <laughs> Fast and Furious now with this podcast. I I would like a piece of the money. I, I, I've seen the receipts, so I'd like I like some of this. <laughs> but instead of using it to throw it a car at your brother's former henchman, Bruce wants to use it to deflect bullets off the suit, which is a pretty 
smart, uh, pretty smart idea. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but before he can really get out into the field as Batman, he has to go to the golf course as Bruce Wayne. Yes, because he is meeting with the um, this land developer, um, Ronald Marshall, who is who basically he just built a golf course in Gotham, even though he had made plans and said he was going to build other things in Gotham. Um, I mean, I guess it, this is just the way that Gotham works, among other places. But um, he, while he's there, they're talking about um, how... Marshall was receiving a lot of kind of hate against an activist named um, Teresa Williams. And it seems that Teresa Williams has also been killed at some point, killed or murdered or died mysteriously. So Bruce is kind of pushing him on it, asking him, like, you know, do you know anything about her death? And uh, Marshall kind of brushes it off, you know, really leaning in to get to get a chance to talk with Bruce more from his playboy side. So this is when Bruce does two things. One, during the golf tournament, he, I, I believe he um, drops off a device to copy Marshall's phone, or he puts another phone, he grabs the phone. It's it's weird. I don't really know what exactly <laughs> he did. <laughs> Owns the phone somehow. He, yeah, he does something with the phone. Um, and the other thing that he does is when, you know, Marshall's kind of getting a little too big for his britches, saying that, like, you know, Bruce ain't really shooting right when it comes to the golf tournament. He uses the, the same um, deflection device to send Marshall's club flying through the whole entire golf course. And this causes everybody to be like, we need to go find the club. We must stop the entire game and go find this club. That's what your caddy is for, bro. Like... <laughs> Using some weighted clubs over there? I, I don't know. <laughs> right. What I do like about this scene, um, because we don't get to see this a whole ton um, in these kinds of movies, of Bruce Wayne really going undercover as Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. I do I do like, um, and this is something recently the 2022 Batman incorporated really well of R- Robert Pattinson's Bruce going undercover as Bruce <laughs> to find out information. Right, so right. I do love this very charismatic, you know, he's brushing off a fact that he knows this guy was responsible for someone's death, um, how disgusted he is with him. It's a fun little game that we know he's playing um, and is a great contrast to when he immediately puts on a, what do you think of this suit? I got to ask, what do you think of this, this Batman suit for this, the, for be shown in Batman? I, I, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't my favorite. Um, I think it stylistically did look kind of cool in certain aspects. Like I kind of like the, what was it called? I think it was basically the ripoff of a Superman kind of cape, where it's just like, it's mostly mostly cape and you see the, um, the, 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 the symbol on his chest. But everything about it just screamed like bad tuxedo mask to me yeah <laughs> the only way i can describe it yeah it it the the cowl is just like kind of really... rave falcon like yeah almost. it was really pointy yeah it's, it's <laughs> too pointy like his nose entered the building before he did it's such a it's such a unique take on it and it's like i can't i don't hate it but i, I definitely don't love it yeah <laughs> 
it does but, get used i think it's like a apparently it's a one of the suits that you can pick up in i think it was arkham knight oh um yeah i think it is it is used in arkham knight or one of the other arkham games well i'll i'll leave it on the shelf yeah um, <laughs> but he now that he's dressed up in the pointiest suit ever uh he gets to going after Maroni on a boat who's trying to have a uh, meeting of sorts, trying to hide out. And Batman immediately decimates everybody on the boat and another great fight scene. And he has these two men by the throat. And is like, look, you're going to take the docks. You're going to take the other side of town and until I figure out how to get both of y'all. So just play nice. Mm-hmm. Squeeze in their throats. The, the upper body on this Batman is amazing. But unfortunately, his victory gets soured when someone tries to take a shot at him. And thanks to the magnetic device, the bullet deflects, but it goes right into somebody else's arm. This sends Batman into a tailspin almost um, because he grabs the guy, puts him in the Batmobile. He's driving him over to the hospital. He's telling the um, the EMT workers that, you know, they... this guy got shot and he just wants to make sure he gets the help that he needs but the guy ends up trying to run away which is like why bro like we're we're trying to help you (laughs) um but this leads into uh i think the guy basically you know he he does collapse eventually from his injuries and once batman is just looking on to everything you can see that he's a bit more solemn so he decides to head back over to lucius fox and returns the device um because and the, the line that he shares is that it works but it works too well i'm willing to put my life on the line to do what i have to do but it has to be mine no one else's and i did like this scene a lot because it does show um batman's conviction to making sure that you know gotham is safe but this is also the same batman who we just saw in um field test basically murk somebody or cross crossfire <laughs> murk somebody right. murk several people <laughs> i do want to also point out respect to this injured criminal because even though he was bleeding lost approximately half his blood he still tried to shoot batman while <laughs> bleeding out in the batmobile like yo know, your commitment is just crazy. Get, pay get pay this man more. You know, <laughs> like, he's doing it all for you guys. And before we move on, we do have to give credit to who was the creator of the Shonen Jump Batman here, as B Train is the animation studio responsible for this one with the writing of Jordan Goldberg. Uh, B Train, you might know their work from Metabots. Oh my god. Spider Riders. I don't know. I feel like I'm the only one that really remembers that show and that weird like energetic theme song that it had. <laughs> as well as the um I'm not too familiar with this, but the hack French franchise. There's a um series of um Japanese animated shows where about um it's like dot hack and then it's forward slash forward slash and other computer coding that I'm not too familiar with. <laughs> they did they did a except for the pointy cowl, nice job. Um, <laughs> Moving right along to In Darkness Dwells, it starts with some solid continuity because the two officers from before mm-hmm. are accompanying Gordon into a church and all the, the uh, parishioners have said they've hallucinated. They think they saw a lizard man of some sort and they don't know what to do. 
So Gordon goes into the sewers near the church because the cardinal was also abducted and there's no trace of where he was above ground. So they go underground and Batman just hangs from the ceiling like he always practices doing <laughs> the, the blood going to your head, bro. Right. And um, he acknowledges that this is obviously has to be the work of Scarecrow who in the connection of the dark Knight, has been at large since the events of the dark Knight, where he was last. We last saw him get tasered and get lost in a dust of fear toxin. Yeah. I do appreciate that. They finally made this connection um, to the, how Scarecrow's story was between like, um, what was it? Batman begins in dark Knight, Mm -hmm. And then the other part of it too, is that this is the most, I feel Batman dark Knight suit that we get in this entire series. I think that this one actually had the um, the cow looked a lot like that randomly rounded face of Christian Bale's bat, bat cow. And then um, also the rest of the suit and design was very much in that like tactile wear that we see in that universe. So it's just like, if you were unsure if it was connected to the universe in any way, shape or form, this kind of like confirms it a little bit, which it did for me. Um, so now that they figured out that Scarecrow is up to no good, um, Batman and Gordon have this conversation and Batman gives Gordon a uh, was like an earpiece to stay in communication with them, but makes it very clear that this is only to communicate him. If you try to <laughs> figure out where who I am or find, find out where the signal is coming from, apparently it has been encrypted quadruple hydro something times that is just science terms science terms that batman is just making up at this point i feel but he decides to trust gordon a little bit by giving him an opportunity to communicate with him as the two of them are in communication so batman can go through the sewer to find killer croc who is more than just an urban legend at this point yeah and i do like on the way this philosophical conversation he has with these uh these people living underground mm. where they go like hey bat uh, you're supposed to be in the sky why are you underground you break your wings <laughs> <laughs> and they do point him in the right direction but they also ask him hey when you fly in what does what does the city look like and he goes it looks dirty <laughs> i'm like yo snaps batman you mm-hmm. this is some poetry here <laughs> But he wishes soon that he was above ground because he gets deeper into the sewers. And finally, finally, I've been you. If you've listened before, you know, I've been waiting for this for so long. When Batman is dealing with Scarecrow, he puts on a Mm -hmm. ventilator Mm -hmm. over his face. Yes. Finally. (laughs) Damn it. I've been waiting for you, man. I've been waiting for you for this. Finally. This immediately puts it at a 10 for 10 for you. I can tell. Yeah, automatically. <laughs> automatically. I love it. Um, and and this is a great, also, this is a great buildup because as he's going around and searching, he's put on the ventilator, he's seeing all these coffins. And Gordon is reaching out to him saying, there's a guy named Waylon Jones. He has a skin condition. He sh- filed down his teeth to sharp points. He's eight feet tall. He's attacking people. And he was treated by Jonathan Crane for fear of bats. Mm. And as soon as he says that, Killer Croc emerges, throwing bodies, literal coffins of bodies at Batman to start this fight. It is wild. And as another thing that I love about this scene, too, is that it's 
smooth transition and animation in the fighting. So there's that one point, unfortunately, when Batman gets bit by um, by Killer Croc. And, you know, from times before, we've seen Batman completely brush this off. But this time around, it seems to be affecting him in some way. And Gordon's talking to him, asking, it's like, what's going on? What are you seeing? And this is when Batman reveals that Killer Croc apparently has the fear toxin just like flowing through his body and blood and that his bite has turned has basically transferred the fear toxin into Batman. So Batman is fighting Killer Croc while just seeing the most crazy shit. So now Batman does end up defeating Killer Croc, fortunately, but because of the bite, it's like causing him to become more and more susceptible to just seeing things as he's just traveling through the sewers talking to Gordon and I do love to see because even though Batman is tripping balls at this point mm-hmm. he's still conscious about what's going on as he's heading over to the area where Scarecrow is holding the Cardinal alongside his death cult I want to say yeah I think he has a little death cult going yeah. on um, and I also want to point out during the Gordon conversation Gordon asks, while he's struggling with Killer Croc, are you in pain? Batman goes, I work through pain. Mm, mm. Batman. All right. All right, man. Throwing out those bars today. <laughs> but he does get to Scarecrow and the Death Cult. And I love his entrance, too, because he waits till Scarecrow is like right about to, you know, take out the Cardinal because he's like, the Cardinal, you saving too many people. And now I don't have anybody for my cult. We can't. I can't allow that anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> he, Bat, he Scarecrow grows. Can, can anybody speak for this holy man? And Batman goes, I can. <laughs> and this is when you get just another crazy fight scene. It, yeah. Everybody's coming at Batman. This whole entire death cult. And this is when Batman is able to at least like pull the Cardinal away and sees that they're underneath like this window of methane gas so he decides to create an explosion that destroys like basically several water pipes flooding the area and this gives the cardinal and him a chance to escape leaving um you know we're thinking that uh scarecrow probably died at this point but he does make it out long enough for him to get captured by gordon in the helicopter yeah some of those people definitely died um, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. If this is canon to the Dark Knight trilogy, of course, Scarecrow survives. But they ain't no way all of them got out of that flood. <laughs> this is, And it's, this wasn't a I don't have to save you situation, Batman. You willfully killed these people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> probably that's why in the sobering ending, Batman does not go with Gordon, even though he is injured, even though he is hurt and losing blood. Um, at some point, he's either been stabbed or shot at this point. He decides, nah, I I can't go with you. I need to keep going on this mission. And he heads back into the sewers for working through pain the next short. Yep. And before we move on, just going to share that In Darkness Dwells was animated uh, by Madhouse. So the story that was written by David S. Goyer got Madhouse to animate it. And you will remember their work from One Punch Man, Death Note, Card Captor Sakura or Sakura, whichever you prefer. Um, and Hunter Hunter. Oh <laughs> Hunter Hunter. Why would you open that wound? <laughs> it'll it'll it's coming back, right? It's coming back. You know, when I, I you know, I guess if 
you know, I guess we ever fix his back, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Once George R.R. R. Martin finishes his novel at the same time, <laughs> game, you'll get Game of Thrones and, and uh, more Hunter Hunter next month, probably. The next century is just going to be, we're going to have to re-release these from the very beginning and create our own story. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. We might, we'll get it done faster. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, speaking back to Batman's iconic line from A Darkness Dwells, we hop on over to Working Through Pain, where Batman is trying to escape out of the sewer. He is, at some point, he got shot by a man who was hallucinating, thanks to the fear toxin as well. And Batman takes out a, what do they call the uh, tapping light things? I know they have yeah. an official <laughs> light name for them. But he takes one out, it expands in his hand, and he puts it against the bullet wound he has as it cauterizes the wound. And he immediately has this flashback to um, his training as Bruce Wayne before he decided to don the cowl. Yeah, and he is taking part in the most graphic surgery I think I've ever seen mm-hmm. in a Batman movie. <laughs> this guy is like cut open. And is there no anesthesia where they're at? Like, I, I was wondering that too. And I was just like, I guess it's wartime and they just ran out. But damn. Yeah, give my man like a drink or something. Right? This man, they have this man cut open. <laughs> somebody punch him in the face at least knock him out yeah so there you know obviously there's this theme already established of how you deal with pain and like how you know you work through it and we cut back to the present briefly where batman is trying to climb out of the sewers with his injuries but he slips and falls approximately i think i'd say 100 stories um back through not only does he fall down to the floor, but he falls through the floor and even deeper into the sewers. <laughs> and this prompts another flashback of him observing a, a snake fighting a mongoose. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's because a uh, chicken fight was um, not legal to put on. Right, at right. That point, I'm, I'm assume, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as he's watching this, he gets approached by this guy who tells him that um there's a i i guess it's a spiritual guru um who doesn't want to train bruce despite bruce saying that hey i got the money to do this i got the time like why doesn't he want to train me and he shares that it's because he can tell that bruce is trying to learn for the wrong reasons so he does share though that there is somebody who is willing to teach him it's this woman named cassandra who he decides to go meet up with. And this is where we get a chance to meet somebody who we learn has found a way to deal with her pain to the point where it looks like she's not even experiencing anything upon getting hurt. Yeah, and I do love before, because I I do love everything with Cassandra, but I I do love when uh, we briefly come back to the present, uh, Batman's like, I need some blood, Alfred. I lost a lot of blood. And Alfred's like, yeah, I'll bring you some. Very casual. Mm-hmm. He just has some blood in the back. <laughs> and back in the flashback, we see Cassandra standing on some paint, some just hot coals. And it, she's in clearly no pain. And I love this line because Bruce goes, does the pain, you don't feel the pain, but does it scar? And she goes, what pain doesn't? Damn. <laughs> Damn. Um. From there, we find out a little bit of her backstory that she was kicked out from the people Bruce wanted to learn with because she was a woman. 
she had pretended to be a boy to get trained. And according to her, they treated it as a game. Like they knew it. It was kind of like a Mulan situation. If they knew from the beginning. Yeah. 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 Um, and they were hoping she would fail and fall on her face. But when she didn't, they ostracized her and they called her a witch. And that prompts Bruce to go, why would you not leave? It's like, this is where I belong. Don't you have some place like that? Damn. <laughs> We're not choosing favorites, but it sounds like we found yours. <laughs> yeah, I, these lines, they just keep hitting. So now Bruce... She agrees to train him, and they are training over a period of several months now at this point. And we see that we keep going back and forth, actually, between Bruce getting trained. And you see this one scene where she's like basically sitting on needles or stalactites, whatever they're called again. Um, <laughs> so, but the other thing that's happening is Bruce, while he's back as Batman, he's digging around in the trash and he's basically falling in. And every time he's bringing up his hands another gun appears which we know bruce is you know he doesn't like guns everything about him just like pisses him off at least from canon from like just basic dc history but we never knew how he what his own his own perception about guns here at this point we then hop back over to bruce in his training he is hearing there's a commotion happening outside as we get more and more of this like documentary style dialogue with Cassandra telling him about her journey and her story but as he hears the commotion outside he looks up and sees Cassandra's looking out and he offers his help but she says no I will go handle it because it is just the same group of people who have always bothered her and this is when she steps outside and things start to escalate pretty quickly yeah they hit her with a wood pole of some sort that makes her bleed but again she's emotionless she doesn't seem to be experiencing pain and right when they're about to strike her again bruce steps in and he has clearly advanced because he's able to take a wood bat to the face let it just crack on his whole face without flinching um and he's just willing to stand still until they pull out the knives so you know it's pretty fair when you pull out knives you bring knives to like a a wood stick fight a wood (laughs) stick fight that's that's just not fair anymore so bruce even though he started taking hits he starts fighting and although he takes out every single one of them brutally uh it's glorious cassandra it does not like this she runs she walks away from him brings him his bag and says that your pain is leading down you down a path that you desire and there is no point in her teaching her and teaching him anything else because he's learned what he needed to and bruce accepts yep that's exactly what i did and he leaves so we now have back over to the present where batman is still in that gutter he's pulling up more and more guns alfred has finally driven up and he looks down at his adopted son here and sees that he's just basically holding several guns in his hands. Like he, there's just like, uh, I, I don't know, like all these different types, handguns, assault rifles, this is all being held in his hands. So he offers, Alfred offers to pull out Batman from his, the hole that he's put himself in. And he's just offering his hand and he's as he asks for it, 
Bruce to give him his hand back. This is when Batman shares that he can't. And our short ends here, this one written by Brian Azzarello, who was another famous Batman writer. And this one, again, was animated by Studio 4 Degree C. As we hop on over to conclude all the story points that are happening here with our final short of the film. Yeah, here we go. Deadshot with now the Archer animated version of Bruce with those hard lines on the Yo, Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. This is the most Jack Bruce, honestly. Yes. <laughs> you, you know, you've been waiting for it. We wouldn't let you down. The most Jack Bruce is here. Um, and he has a bag full of guns, seemingly the same guns from the previous short. And this is the most interesting choice, the most interesting piece of dialogue I have seen in a Batman film or a TV show in a while. Because when he, he's Alfred's like, let's hand the guns over to the police. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And he goes, I understand why people dig guns. It gives you the power to change lives, history, the power of God. And I have never heard Bruce praise a gun before in any positive manner or even acknowledge why people like them. So I thought this was such a fascinating choice to include. Yeah, it's very synonymous with um, a lot of the early stages of Batman and Bruce that we've read before in comics um, with um, trying to remember which one it was. Uh, but there was that issue of Batman Year Two, where he was facing off against the um, being called the Reaper. We we also talked about the animated adaptation of that of that um, story. But in that, the main focus was Bruce dealing with the use of a gun. This makes sense to me because of the fact that Bruce, in those early stages, was trying to figure out like how does he dispense justice, like he reached a point where it was like in his training, he could surpass the power of a gun, but at the same time, it still had this hold on him because of the fact that it was just like, as we saw him working through the pain, the, the feelings he had about how it took away his parents, it changed his life. It changed his trajectory into being who he is now. So when you have that, even though he hates them, maybe with a passion, like a deep hearted passion, he still has to, in a way, acknowledge in that early point, is this the path I go down because I recognize how powerful this weapon is. It's, and we will see later on like how that mindset does change. But I think it's a good addition to add this in to a Batman who, uh, if we're still talking about the Nolan verse, was still struggling with the use of guns because remembering from Batman Begins, he does pull a gun when he wants to go kill, um, I believe it was Joe Chill, when he was with um what's her name again Katie Rachel, <laughs> Rachel yes Rachel! Rachel! <laughs> um he's in the car before he leaves he wants to pull a gun to go kill um Joe Chill but at the same time that's when he hadn't been trained up now that he's trained up he's never seen the gun since then possibly so now it's like do I I can see the power behind it because I myself have trained to become a weapon of some sort so I can see why there's still that why it was a good this was a good scene to add and i loved it because it's some of the best dialogue i felt in this film in general to just have that moment of i'm going to acknowledge the thing the power of the object that's taken so many things away from me mm -hmm. and it's also a nice contrast to our 
titular villain, Deadshot, this mm-hmm. year. And as usual, he's killing people through champagne glasses from millions of miles away, labeling his name on the bullets. Um, oh, my so gosh. Got- I mean, he had monogram bullets. Like, that is yeah. insulting. <laughs> got him and done it like those penny places where you, like, put a penny in and, like, engrave. <laughs> That's where he engraves all his bullets. It's like instead of a double piece, I'm just gonna put my initials. <laughs> oh yeah, that's his double piece. And what I, uh, he, we also find out he has a superpower to kill bees with anything, mm-hmm. like a cocktail, napkin. It doesn't matter. Um, and we find out that he has been seemingly assigned to kill Jim Gordon um, in Gotham. So I love Gotham City. This version of Gotham City because they give Jim a helmet. He's got like 50 detectives surrounding him, including Crispus, who has seemingly been promoted in the intervening years, um, intervening shorts. And Gordon's taking no chances. He's wearing a helmet to the car. He's in a bulletproof car and he is waiting for Deadshot to come. While and even though Crispus is like, yo, put that helmet on. Gordon wants to keep it off. So it's up to Batman to save him from getting headshotted by Deadshot. So. It, I yeah, I love that scene too because it's like you also saw that Gordon can actually run for a little bit of speed despite how old <laughs> <Yeah>. he looked. <laughs> um, so we find out that the person who put the hit out on Gordon was the Russian, the same guy we've been dealing with since like basically the um the second short. And this guy, um, Deadshot, he is on the bridge on a separate train of a train that's passing by he's using the trains in order to disguise his um his himself so he doesn't get targeted and just when he pulls the trigger and the bullet is heading its way towards gordon's head batman throws a batarang causing it to um deflect this deflect it and this leads to batman um using the grapple hook to swing back onto the train and this is where we get the big reveal that gordon really wasn't the target all along yeah, in a nice game of chess, Deadshot was always hired to get Batman. But knowing and making public that he's going after Gordon, he knew Batman would naturally come out of hiding. So this leads to their conf- confrontation on top of a moving train. Again, gorgeous animation. Mm-hmm. Um, we even see Alfred sweating in the Batcave, which I thought <laughs> was a really nice little detail. And at some point in the battle... You know, they're close range and Deadshot goes, what are you going to do against my bullets? And Batman's like, I'm going to throw these hands and just (laughs) rushes him. (laughs) In the history of times that people have rushed things, I think this is now second to Ash trying to run a fade on Mewtwo. (laughs) (laughs) Even Deadshot calls this out. It's just like, at a certain point, no armor is bulletproof if you get close enough. <laughs> he does end up getting a shot on Batman, and it does um, go through his arm. So as Batman ends up falling off the train, he's using his other arm to hold on for dear life. As Deadshot inches closer and closer to finally shoot and kill the Batman, gloating the entire time. But it is before he can even pull his gun for the final shot, this is when Batman uses his tactics and tricks and theatrics, disappears and reappears in front of Deadshot's eyes. And after knocking off his helmet, which I thought he was going to behead him for a second. Oh my God, I thought he died, honestly. (laughs) Puts Deadshot's head out in between the, the moving train. 
And after he gets the information he needs to implicate who Deadshot's working for and everything, Batman uses the one punch man, regular, <laughs> regular standard punch, which you know hits with the force of a meteor and knocks Deadshot so hard that he, this man dents the metal. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Needless wow. to say, Deadshot's knocked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Knock, knocked out. He he didn't he didn't die uh, somehow. <laughs> sure. Yep, no, he's definitely not dead from head trauma. <laughs> So now we see a news report going on, um, Batman finding out from, this is a callback from field tests. He was able to see that Ronald Marshall has been the one that's been using Deadshot as his assassin. Deadshot is responsible for the death of the mayor in the in an earlier scene of this Deadshot short. But also Deadshot was responsible for killing the activist Teresa Williams. So with all that evidence on Ronald Marshall's phone, they're able to take down Deadshot and Ronald Marshall all in one fell swoop. This leads to um, Batman, you know, finally taking some, a little bit of time. Um, I guess like the, probably the two seconds right before our the Dark Knight movie as he heads on back to the his Bat cave to talk with Alfred. And they are just basically, he's just basically telling him that like, about what happened during the fight. Even at one scene we saw where two bullets was coming at Batman, he references that to how the, the night of his parents' murder, that he's been trying to stop two bullets his entire life. This is when Batman or Bruce decides that he's been put here for something more. Like, um, you know, he thought that it was just to do this one thing, but he realizes that there's something more he has to do in order to clean up Gotham as the our film ends with Bruce looking up at the sky and seeing the bat signal you know smile on his face knowing that he's made the right decision yes and there you go that's the six shorts that make up the Gotham Knight sextology I guess uh, yeah <laughs> the best way to one for every Robin that Batman has acquired so far <laughs> one for every crowbar all right so that was our film and before we get into our full score here's a quick word from one of our uh forgotten entertainment podcast family members and they're going to share with you a podcast that you should be listening to the next time you're not listening to us hello there general mcmillan i was expecting a podcaster of your abilities to be a little Older. Anders, you're shorter than I expected. No need to be so uncivilized. I'm Anders, that's Colleen. Join us along with our co-hosts Daniel and Flo for yet another Star Wars podcast because the internet can never have enough nerds talking about Star Wars. This season, we're headed, hopefully briefly, back again to the edges of Tatooine's Dune Sea to explore the new series Obi-Wan Kenobi. We'll search our feelings for what we know is true, that changing your first name from Obi-Wan to Ben is the most effective cover story in the history of the galaxy. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Now that we have talked about our 2008 film of Gotham Knights, the film that is not canon, but does take place, it seems, within the Nolanverse, Dark Knightverse. Does this 2008 film get a sweet or sour from you? This is 
a tough choice because it is so out of the box from what you're usually expecting from a film like this. Um, it's not a singular cohesive mystery or a narrative. Mm -hmm. um, it, it goes up and down. Everything is of differing quality. Um, so ultimately, it's, it's tough to say, but I do think this is a lightly sour. Lightly. Mm. Because <laughs> it, it is worth watching for the animation alone. Let's be honest here. Um, you, the animation is gorgeous. They, the animators did their job. And shorts, like, I mean, obviously, Working Through Pain is a, a good one. I loved In Darkness Dwells with the Scarecrow confrontation. I think those are both great. But it is impossible to ignore two facts. One, this is connected to the Dark Knight uh, trilogy, but it does not feel like it whatsoever, um, especially with the introduction of Killer Croc, which would not really work for Nolan's iteration mm. of Batman at all. Everything else is fine. But Killer Croc was a very strange choice to include here. Yeah. And the short works. It just doesn't work when you put it into context with anything. Uh, not that there are any particularly bad shorts in the bunch. They're just, you know, they're there. They're fun. They're great. But that's all they really do. Most of them. And the other big elephant in the room is that there are approximately 5 million Batman movies yes. to watch out there. So do you need to watch the loose interquel between Batman Begins and Dark Knight when you have all these other ones out here? Not really, in my opinion. And Again, if you're curious, you want to check it out. Again, you're going to find some great animation and a couple good shorts. But overall, is this worth the hour and 15 time investment? When compared to other Batman movies, I can't say it is. Good point. Good point. I felt the opposite. Mm. Um, only I did give this a sweet rating, mainly because I think it was a great concept. The way I see it is just like, if you like Star Wars Visions, then it's, it's like Star Wars Visions, I will say, executed it very well. Like this is, this is what, the same thing that they did with Star Wars Visions, I wish that they did here. I did like every individual story. Together though, not so much. Like, I kind of wish it was split apart into many, like just mini-sodes it would have made more sense for me in that way. Because again, it's basically the same concept as Star Wars Visions, but they tried to tie in together one small little detail. That's the only reason why the experience I would have to make it, I would give is, is sour. Stories is sweet. I, I just wish it was split up a bit more because there's just, uh, it, that's the part of it that just kind of like really messed with me in a way where I wish that we should just, had it split because in scenes where it's like um the transition between in darkness wells and we're in working through pain it didn't really make sense for them to be um put together in that way and by which i mean it's a very small detail but we don't get the title card for working through pain until much later on after batman has like cauterized his wound and also had a bit of a flashback Yet we have the line of, I always work through pain, being dropped in and darkness dwells. So that 
I wish that they'd flipped around some of it or maybe like cut it right at the scene of like him actually saying like, no, I'm going to do my thing. And again, this is just saying this movie would have done so well with commercial breaks mm-hmm. in a day of streaming. This movie would have been so much better appreciated if it was um, after every episode we did a credit sequence of who was involved. You know, we really give a shout out to everybody who was involved, especially because then it all blurs together and we don't really, and it just seems jumbled. But I think that all the stories were written really well. The animation was done properly. Um, you know, there was some stuff that I didn't like, you know, like Shonen Jump Batman. Um, this, you know, this, <laughs> this costume wasn't the best for me, but the story was great. Dialogue was great. Voice acting was great. I, all of it was great. It's just that because of the experience of putting it all together, it sours that sweetness a bit. So still sweet, but if there's any way to adjust this so that the experience is more of a, it's all six things under one, like a little mini series, it would have been better served there rather than trying to create a whole film. You know, I'm also thinking that if you order from a lot of um, Asian places, uh, there are sweet and sour options so might this be a sweet and sour <laughs> film yes we're at it yes this is a sweet and sour batman <laughs> yes i think i think because i think we meet halfway and i, I think we agree that it, it's uh there are definitely highlights of this but uh as a whole product it doesn't really gel that well besides all being tangentially related because mm-hmm. By the end of this, by the time you get to Deadshot, you do not remember the five kids talking about their versions of Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Which I wish that they focused the, focused the story a bit more like. Like maybe if it was the the anthology was the kids sharing their own stories about Batman. Which is a, I know that people are going to say that like this is something we've already seen. But if it ain't broke, why you know, just do it. Like I, we've seen this Josh Olsen who wrote the first one of the man that I got a story for you even admits that he low key ripped the idea um, from that episode of the new Batman adventures where the kids are talking about all the different stories of Batman, which is also pulled from the Frank Mm -hmm. Robbins story from Batman number 250 in 1973. But it's, I wish that the movie kind of did it more like that because I think by jumping around to have like, it seemed like you're asking the writers to make these small connections enough so that the stories will intertwine when you could have just easily done it where it's just like it's all these different kids who are sharing their stories about Batman and that's the intertwining part that way you're not constricted to I have to make it make sense that Deadshot was the reason why Teresa Williams was killed like it it's too much of a it's too much of a focus to try to bring that forward when honestly the kids are right there to do it for us yeah, and I have watched this movie a couple of times before, and this is the first time I made that connection that Deadshot <laughs> was involved in that assassination attempt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that kind of tells you all you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, that is it for the film and the you know sweet and sour rating, which we have now determined that Batman Gotham Knight is sweet and sour. I got no comic book knowledge for you for this one, except for what I just dropped about how the first short is uh basically a redud version of the frank famous frank frank robin story of the batman that nobody knows which is a great story because i do like when we have these 
urban legend Batman stories being told by different people because it is kind of a cool concept to just because this is where you get like true natural storytelling at least for me yeah I, I do like the um different interpretations and at one point a really nice moment was during the in darkness dwells uh which was very grounded for the mm-hmm. most part <laughs> relatively there's a giant crocodile giant crocodile. <laughs> 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 uh, there's a point where batman dives into the sewers mm-hmm. and from jim's perspective it looks like he became one of the like shadow uh, bat creature mm-hmm. um and you know you could say that's fear toxin but it also could just be how jim saw sees batman mm-hmm. you know as sometimes this otherworldly creature so i think it was little touches like that mm-hmm. that is worth makes it worth checking out if you're really interested and curious about what this is those little attention to detail about the perception of who batman is as a character now have they put some contrast where you get some worshippers who are too far for Batman, something like that, maybe that'd be my Arte alteration. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of not to subtract or add any shorts, but if there was an aspect of Deadshot, for example, that had some hero worship of Batman, that might have given it a little extra layer in context besides guns are cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, some some contrast, some of different you already had that idea that people see Batman differently. So why not go further with that? Mm-hmm. So since I don't really have any um, comic book knowledge to share, I did have a good question. Uh, well, personally, I thought it was a great question. for myself, <laughs> <laughs> But I do, I was wondering, because this is a new style that we've, we've never really seen before in the DC animation storytelling in the previous stuff. We've talked about films that had one linear plot line. We've done shows where it's, um, you know, they do tell a story probably over a period of the season, but a lot of it, it's more of like, kind of like that monster of the week kind of style. However, with recent times, we've been seeing a lot of shift from superhero storytelling from big cinematic movies where if you don't buy your tickets to them then you're going to have to just block your social media for a couple weeks to now all these superhero shows are being created um, on different streaming platforms for shorter storytelling but more intense storytelling so i was wondering that as we see more of these like superhero shows being created alongside films where do you see uh superhero storytelling really growing for our future I think that really it, TV, especially, we're really breaking into live action TV um, and seeing a revolution there because I think animation has been at the forefront of superhero storytelling in turn, on TV for decades. <laughs> it's, mm. you know, Teen Titans, it's your static, it's your animated series for Batman and Superman. Now in live action, now that technology has caught up and made things more affordable, People are starting to realize how far you can push these series. I think recently, uh, in terms of DC, Doom Patrol and Peacemaker are great examples of bringing in characters who are essentially gods. Mm, that's true. <laughs> and doing something different with them, giving them different challenges and giving them different, different things to do. And most importantly, not being afraid to be like, this is a, from a weird comic book. These are things that actually happen. In fact, we can make it weirder. <laughs> um, I, I'd like this 
this revolution in live action of not being ashamed that your what your source material is mm-hmm. just making sure that the source material that you're putting on is relevant is updated is current and i think that's what you get the nostalgia for people who are like yes i know who mr mixapitalic is but Ooh, now you it got it down right yeah i think i think so i think so <laughs> yeah. but now you make him a farmer bro and now it's like all right i get it. <laughs> don't do that please don't do that but uh <laughs> I think that's where it's going. It's embracing in live action all these ridiculous, silly elements um, from the comics and just being authentic to them. Yeah, I agree. I think that we're in a golden age almost of the of superhero live action stuff. Like we started with our going way back. We had, you know, we had the Flash with John Wesley Ship, but then that turned into shows like um, Birds of Prey and Short Lived uh you know they all these shows were short-lived because they just couldn't like keep up with the production values like we had even past before then we had things like um uh the wonder woman show which ran for several seasons however they did it where it's like it fell with the times but now like you're saying we've gone to a point where we can actually tackle a lot of this social commentary that's happening here like a lot of the stuff that we saw in our animated shows that was easy to put in for those like 20 odd minutes to just kind of serve it as a PSA announcement. But then now it's like live action. This is our day-to-day lives. So to create the films, I think are like, you know, they come up, but I feel like thankfully now with the shows, it gives it more time for a viewer to dissect it and really like be a part of it because now it's not like I have to pay this like, I don't know, like a movie ticket fee in order to go see a movie, I can watch this from the comfort of my home. I can um, really enjoy this. And I think that really is changed the mindset of a lot of people, at least for me, it has, where when I think of a movie, I'm thinking of like, this is going to be a big picture production. Like I'm expecting to see buildings falling over. And I, I'm, I'm now more shocked when I see, uh, you know, especially in superhero storytelling for a film, when I see like there's actually a dialogue of like hey here's this thing that's going on in our actual lives that we're going to comment on i'm expecting that now from my shows where it's like peacemaker where he's just like dealing with his racist dad and it's just like that's real life storytelling personally i feel like the live action stuff is working and i think that um tv shows might be seeing this golden age pretty soon i think we're in bronze age with like the arrowverse but now we're in that golden age because it's just like every single companies creating some version of a live action or animated story of their popular characters to team to talk about like current stuff and it's making sense it's not a we're just going to shoehorn this person in it's like actual representation is being done properly in a lot of the stuff where uh, but where does smallville go before we uh oh smallville <laughs> oh man uh i think smallville is a silver age Okay. Yeah. Okay. Smallville is definitely a silver age. Like, I think it's it's teamed up alongside Arrowverse, honestly. Because <laughs> okay. like, yeah, Smallville opened the door for you can push you can push forward with your superhero storytelling to discuss certain things. But I think the Arrowverse opened the door even wider to be like you can involve more than one show to talk about this thing. That's fair. That's fair. Just want to make sure we get respect on my. My boy's name. Somebody say his name. <laughs> Tom Willen will always get our respect. Um, Tom, 
if you're ever interested in coming onto the show, we'd love to have you. <laughs> yep, you and Phil Lamar, you're gonna have to battle Phil Lamar for the spot, but um, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. <laughs> All right, so that is our wrap up on Batman Gotham Knight, the second installment in our sweet or sour season. Coming up next, we have the two greatest heroes created from dc and what happens when they're both wanted men a lot of chaos a lot of chaos a lot of chaos chaos. (laughs) all right well that wraps up our episode take care of yourselves and remember that um surround yourself with good people if it worked for jim gordon it can work for you and if you end up in the sewers and you see a giant crocodile make sure you got your ventilator because you're probably gonna die (laughs) 